0: Hello, and welcome to the Grove Church Podcast. I'm Charlie Lofton, the lead pastor there, and we are so glad that you're joining us. Whether you are a member and you're just catching up on a sermon that you missed or you're someone who's brand new, we are really glad that you are joining us. And if you are new in some way, and I know that a lot of people will do that, will listen to sermons first before they visit, I want you to know that we would love to meet you at any point. You can join us live in our services on Sunday 9 and 1030 or our streaming service at 1030. Either way, we would love to be able to get to know you. And regardless of why you are here uh, listening to this sermon today, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, good morning. Hey, if you are new, I'm Charlie, the lead pastor here, and really glad that all of you are uh, worshiping with us today. And um, I've been out for the last few weeks. I'll talk a little bit and a little bit more deeper into the message, talk about what we've been up to, but have not been up here for a little bit and have missed being with you guys. And last week, if you were here, Mark kicked off a series for us in Ecclesiastes, and he, I was listening to it this week, um, leading up today, I was listening to it, and he talked a little bit kind of about the origin story of kind of how this series came about, and he was talking about this pastor's lunch that he and I went to, and this guy who'd gone through a lot of grief and pain had He's kind of talking out of the book of Ecclesiastes and how much it had meant to him. He'd written this book, and Mark got it, and it meant a lot to him. And so we're sitting there, I, I, and, and then so then he really wanted to do a series in Ecclesiastes. That's the origin story from his perspective. Let me give it to you from my perspective. From my perspective, we are at our kind of our little semi-annual, we do like a little overnight where we kind of try to plan series for the next, for six months in advance. So that we're always, always trying to be at least six months ahead on kind of what we're doing sermon series Why? And so we're there and we're talking about it. We're talking about what we're going to do in the summer. And he's like, what, what do we think we should do? I think on Ecclesiastes and my, my immediate reaction, my heart was like, well, what if we didn't? Because I don't know what your familiarity is with Ecclesiastes, but it's a weird, it's weird. It's a weird book. And 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 sometimes I don't I don't necessarily I don't know what to do with it. I mean I grew up going to church. I've talked about this before. We were there all the time and I was a good I listened. And between Sunday school every week and three sermons, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday, I tell you what, in eighteen years times four times fifty-two, not one time did we talk about Ecclesiastes. Cause there's some things that in there he just says are just kind of weird that I think I think sometimes people have a hard time making the whole thing make sense just in and of itself. But then try, I think we have this idea of what Christian culture is supposed to look like. This is what it looks like to be a Christian. This is how you behave. This is kind of the philosophy of Christian living. And there's some things in Ecclesiastes that at least at first glance, like, that doesn't fit. And there's a couple of verses in there. Like One of them is like, you know, he says this, you shouldn't be too good. Well, I, I didn't even know that was an option, right? I, like I've never gotten that impression. And like one, I didn't know that was an option. And two, I didn't know that it was a possibility, even if it were a theoretical option. And then there's another phrase. I'm going to paraphrase this because I think it kind of catches the essence of it. Where basically one of the conclusions he comes to is like, really, there's nothing better you can do in this world than after a hard day's work, just to sit on the back porch, crack one open. And just enjoy life. And I'm like, bro, that's something. But that's not Christian. That's not kind of how we make sense of things. And so this is the, the thing that I'm having in my head. I'm just like, man, I, uh, this is so weird. And it's, it's going to be in July. So people are going to be kind of in and out. But he was so passionate. And this is what I want to do. I want to be able to empower that sort of passion. And at the same time, then it begins to hit me. Now I'm just being guilty of the same thing where that, you know, my church growing up, we just avoided it because it didn't make sense. We couldn't fit it in to kind of our way of thinking. Like, I don't want to be that. I don't want to have a philosophy of kind of what God wants us to do as, as his followers and who he wants us to be that incorporates, you know, at most 65 of the 66 books in the Bible. And then at the same time, the more we were just kind of talking about it, the more I realized, man, this, he's got some, I think he's got some really powerful things to say to, to us about the way that we think about life. And if you, again, if you weren't here last week, we got this guy, the teacher, most likely Solomon, who's conducting all of these experiments to determine where is real meaning in life found, and the chapter that we're about to look at in ecclesiastes chapter 2 he, we kind of see we're starting to see these series of experiments that he's doing we're going to see one where he is really trying to figure out how and can you and if so how can you find meaning in in stuff and money and the and the acquisition of things can you really find happiness in in and and what you have and 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 buying things and enjoying Enjoying stuff, and you think we don't really we don't really talk about that. And it's like my well, world. Churches we talk about money all the time. Yeah, but when we talk about money, typically we talk about the the essential nature of giving, and then we talk about how to how to manage it. Like like you know, you should give and save and don't outspend and you know. And and other than that, we may just say really harsh things. Don't love money too much. Like, don't love money. Okay but like a real but what but what but what is it though what is money what is stuff and what is its rightful place in my we 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 talk about what it's not supposed to be and we talk about a couple of things that we're supposed to do with it but i don't think i don't get the impression that anyone in our culture christian or not has a real settled peaceful view about i feel like i've got a really good heart peace, balanced understanding that the role of money and stuff plays in my life. Because there's a lot of stuff in there about being, you know, don't be rich. He's bad to be rich. We we think that's what the Bible says. You know, don't love money too much. But but what it but but what is it? And so we've got this guy, Solomon, who I um it's clearly at this time again if you understand, if you if you believe the only people who don't believe this are people who don't think that the bible teaches real history. He's clearly one of if not the most wealthy person on the planet at this time and it's considered by a lot of people to be one of the wealthiest people who's ever lived. And he's about to we're about to find out about this experiment that he went on. He's like I've got all this money. I've got all this stuff. Can I find life here? Ecclesiastes chapter 2, starting in verse 1. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. My mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. So it's a real interesting experiment that he's going on here. It's like, and he kind of starts with the conclusion. It's like I did this, and it was it was meaningless. And he says so he started with drinking. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna drink. People, people like that. People like that. Just, and they enjoy it. Calms them down. I'm just, I'm just gonna drink. He's like I, he says. I kept my I kept my head around me, but it just seemed like hey, let's just have fun. Let's just be loose. He drinks a little bit. He drinks. And he says when well, he had all this money so he he bought all this stuff he built himself beaut- these big awesome houses and and created these these really cool parks and outdoor spaces and he had people that would take care of him and he he didn't, he didn't deny himself uh sexual pleasures and he did all of these things had all of this money and did all these different things and it would seem when you think about some of the things that he built and how long it took to build, it's like a years-long process. And by his own description, I did not deny myself any pleasure that I wanted. My only decision-making process was, if I wanted it, I did it. If it felt like it would bring me pleasure, I did it. And it seems like he was living like this for years. And there was nothing holding him back. Again, there was nothing that he couldn't want, that if he wanted to do it, he had the means and the resources and the power to do it. And in the end, he says, I I did it all. And everything was meaningless. A chasing after wind. he said, it feels like in the end, I gained nothing. It's a. It's just a really interesting. That's just an interesting conclusion. And 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 I think, I think for me, this this is the thing I was thinking about. You know, so I've had I had a, a few weeks off, and this is you know we had a few weeks off, and this is kind of your first one back. It's kind of you, know, you got a lot of time to kind of think about it. And I'll tell you what we were, what we were up to while we were gone. So it started three Sundays ago, where I was at Camp War Eagle, where uh, the directors of that camp, the Setons, they are a part of our church, and there are several people that are on staff. With Camp Oregon, who are part of our church, a lot of our families uh, send kids there. And so we were there three weeks ago, but I have the opportunity on drop-off day to speak to a chapel service for their staff. So I get to come in there early. We get there, gates open at 1 and we get there about 9:30 for this chapel service, and there are already a dozen cars there. By the time we leave, we leave about we leave a little bit before one. There are literally miles and miles of cars. This is one of the best speaking gigs I get because we're inside the gates while miles of cars are in there. We we um, we drop our, our daughter off after the chapel service and we drive out past miles of cars. And this was the best part. As soon as we got out of the gate, right there at the front, there were three families from the Grove that were just kind of all sitting there. We got to roll down the window. We got to make fun of them. And then we drove away. It was great. It was great. And so we drive. So she's at camp for a week. And then um, my wife and I, Heidi, we went to Cancun for a few days and we we do this every every few years or so and when we do this there's a few things we're always like we we, we want all inclusive so we'll make sure we're just looking for a place all inclusive adults only right if we're not taking our kids we're not trying to vacation with your kids right and but then there's a third thing right you get uh, all inclusive adults only you got to make sure that adults only means you know old people trying to chill right you just got to make sure it doesn't mean Anything other than that. So by the side, that's what we do. I don't know if you've ever done this, you all-inclusive deal, but it really is. It's like what this guy's talking about. People are just coming to you all the time. What can I bring you? And whatever it is you think, if they have it, they'll bring it to you. Whatever you want to drink, whatever you want to eat, however much of it. And if you eat it, you don't like it, just okay, bring me something else and different. It's like, it's like this, this this days-long indulgence. And so I'm thinking, like like as we're doing this, like do I agree with these conclusions? So then we get back on a Friday, pick up Layla the next day on Saturday, and then the following Monday, I fly to Orlando, and I have several speaking engagements there with some co- the college ministry that we're involved in with, again, a lot of people from our church uh, that were at least a part of our church here have gone on staff with this, so really kind of all over the world, and um, was there for a couple of days doing that. And then my family starts to come in, and we spend a few days together for the first time at Universal Studios. We're big Disney World people. Uh, this is our first time at Universal Studios, running my own experiment. Can a Disney World person find joy in another place? We can t- that's not the subject matter for this, but we can talk about it later if you want to. And, and it's one of those deals. You just get up, you're just, you're just doing fun stuff all day. Let's ride this, let's ride this, ride this. You know, let's let, you know, let's, let's get a snack. Let's let's go to this gift shop. And my and my, my youngest daughter, Layla, who was 11, she's just always like, you know, well, she, she's so clever. She's got so many different clever ways to try to talk dad into buying her something, right? And it's just like, there's just so many, it's just it's just days of just indulgence. So that's what our last couple of weeks have been like, right? Uh, Heidi and I just going on a trip and our family doing this. Do I, do I agree? Do I agree with these conclusions? And so I think it's important, we're just going to nerd out here for just a little bit. I'm going to, we're, going to, we're going to define a couple of terms that I think are really important. That even if you've never heard these terms before, I believe that we are all familiar with these concepts as we try to think about what is the right place for money and stuff to exist in the life of a Christian. And so the, the two words that we're, going to, that we're going to define today are asceticism versus hedonism. Asceticism versus hedonism. These are just kind of the technical terms for it. Again, if, whether you're familiar with these words or not, you'll understand the concepts. Asceticism is this idea that if you want to be spiritual, if you want to find real meaning in life, then you have to deny yourself anything that would be considered pleasurable. And so, at its extreme, you think of monks, who are people who are intentionally de- denying themselves sexually, who are denying themselves financially. They don't. They don't have possessions. They are not, they're, not, they're not supposed to have sex. They're not supposed to do anything. They are intentionally denying themselves all of the pleasures that the world offers. And, and by doing that, they are necessarily more spiritual than people who do indulge in those things. It is, it is the best way to kind of next level it. Now, whether or not anybody in here, and I would not imagine that there's I mean, maybe some people here who have considered that sort of a lifestyle. There are some of us that probably still have a little bit of that in us. That to be more spiritual is to have less stuff or to not enjoy stuff, to not indulge in things that the world defines as good. I don't, we don't go see movies. We don't watch TV. We don't, we don't drink. We don't, we, don't, we, we don't do those things. And that there is a, an elevation of spirituality by not doing things. That's asceticism. Now, on the other hand, you have hedonism, and hedonism is the the exact opposite of that. That there is no greater thing that you can do, no higher purpose to life than to enjoy it. If it brings you pleasure, you should do it. That really is the only filter, and by operating under that filter, you're actually going to achieve the highest level of life. And so we've got these, really, these kind of two competing ideas. And it seems like that a lot of times that Christians think exclusively in these terms. Either I can do whatever I want or doing things in the, it's just, it's just bad. Side note, this is something, this is a longstanding thing that I've had. I, it, it always weirds me out. It's, it's, it's weird to me when I think about cults. I don't know how many of you ever considered, if you ever considered starting your own? Cult. Let me just give you this little piece of advice, piece of advice I have, right? If you're going to start your own cult and you've got two choices, we're going to be an ascetic cult and we're going to deny ourselves everything, or we're going to be a hedonistic cult and do whatever we want. I feel like the choice is clear, right? Go he- like You're just making stuff up anyway, right? I feel like you're going to draw more people and you're going to have more fun. Right? But I just don't understand. I don't understand. Like somebody's a cult leader. Like, you know what we should do? We should castrate ourselves. Like, come on, bro. You wrote the rules. <laughs> Anyways, we're we're drawn to this. We're drawn to this. But there is something that seems more spiritual about this. Well, those really are only two choices. If you've been around me long enough, you know the answer that I don't really like. These kind of either or, especially if the either ors are, are extremes. I don't think that that's what he's saying, right? But we got these kind of these two different ideas. So it seems like he's going full-fledged into hedonism. I am just going to pursue pleasure. And the conclusion that he's coming to is it's meaningless. And so I think it's important if we're really going to understand the conclusion that he's coming to. Again, I think we need there's another distinction that we need to make. We're thinking about the differences between asceticism and hedonism. I think we also need to make sure that we're clear. We're talking about the difference between pleasure and meaning. Now, there's a phrase out there that likes to get used a lot in Christian circles and in and in other circles as well, even. And it sounds very. It sounds you say a little. Sound a little superior, maybe, when you say it. And it's got a little bit of an asceticism idea to it, where people will say, maybe you've said this, maybe you believe this, money cannot buy you happiness. Money can't buy you happiness. And I say, if I, if I, if I were to start that way, I'm going to start that way. Hey, guys, here's what we're talking about today. Money can't buy you happiness. And, oh, yeah, come on. That's good. It's good. Good, preacher. No, go, no. Money can't buy you happiness. But here's the deal. Let's pretend that it wasn't a preacher saying it. And you could be honest. I know we're at church, and it's difficult. We're going to try to just be honest. Be honest for a second. If I were to just legitimately ask you and say, "Can money buy you happiness?" Eh, of course it can. I does it all the time. I was very happy with my wife on the on the beach in Cancun. We're having a great time. Like, like I mean, I mean, and then. I'm hanging out like I'm riding roller coasters. I love roller coasters. I I, I love the buildup to the roller coaster. I'm excited while I'm on there. I'm having a great time talking about it with my kids. I'm really excited. And they're happy. And when they're happy, I'm happy. And I'm sitting here with, with Layla. So, so I'll tell you what's going on this weekend. Um, our middle daughter, Lauren, who's 22, she is uh, moving to Kansas City this weekend. And so my older, oldest daughter, Maylee, and Heidi drove up there with her on Friday. And so it's just been Layla and I this weekend. We're, like, we like, we're the dream team. We call ourselves the dream team. We're the dream team. We're the ones out there making it happen. We're the dream team. So we're here. just just a dream team together this weekend. And we're out having breakfast yesterday at Chick-fil-A. Indulging pleasures. It's their pleasure, actually, to serve me. And I'm having pleasure. <laughs> and to, but you, can, you have to feel bad about it. It's God's chicken. So you can feel fine about it, even if it's overindulging in fried chicken. And we're sitting there. And we're having breakfast. And I look at it. And I'm like, are you, not, are you ready to go? And she kind of looks at me weird and says, Dad, I don't want to keep staying here, but I don't know that I'm ready to go home. And I know what she meant. We have not bought me anything yet. And so, where do you want to go? It's like, I don't know. So we're walking to our cart, and there it is. There it is. Discount Benz. And if you know what it is, it's an Amazon resale shop they bring in returns and the prices they restock on Thursday and the prices are really high on Friday and they go all down all the way through Wednesday. Never been there on a Saturday before, never been there for ten dollar day. I did not see one thing in there that I would spend ten dollars on. I didn't see anything I necessarily spent five dollars on but my but Layla and I were walking around and she's got this pair she's got this, she's looking at all these things and she's got this pair of fuzzy slippers. Under her and have it like a, one of those yellow smiley face things on it. She just got it under her arm. She didn't say anything about it. She didn't ask me anything. She just got it under her arm and she's looking at stuff. And we're there, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes just looking at all this stuff. And she said, Dad, I think I'm done. She still got it under her arm. So still hadn't said anything. She was slowly walking to the checkout. She goes, she goes Which line do you think we should get in? And I'm like, Are we buying these? Yeah. And then she says, Dad, this quote, I promise they're worth it. <laughs> a kid loves to manipulate me and I love being manipulated by her. So I buy these ten dollar I looked it up on Amazon but as she's walking around with it. I could have gotten them brand new for twelve. So I guess technically we're getting a deal if you don't think about it, that maybe someone else's feet have already been in them. But she did this at Universal Studios, too. We'd be sitting there looking at a souvenir. She had already bought her souvenir that we were going to get her. And now we're sitting here looking at other stuff, and she's looking at me. He's like, Dad, I think we really need this. We, we do? Yep. I think, I think you'd really like it. And if you got it, I think I'd really like it, too. And, you know, and I ended up with a couple of these things. And you're like, Why? Like the again, I've got a 25 year old and a 22 year old. I got 22 year olds moving to Kansas City. The window of time in which you can bring a significant amount of happiness and joy to a kid, to to one of your sons or daughters, with three dollars, five dollars, ten dollars. That's a pretty limited window. I can do, yeah, sure. And when I give it to her, is she happy? Yeah, she absolutely is. Am I happy looking at her being happy? Absolutely. Where there's there's happiness. Money can't buy you happiness. Money seems like it can buy you happiness in the short term, but money cannot bring you meaning. There's a difference. There's a difference between pleasure and meaning. And it's not that these things aren't enjoyable. It's not that they don't bring you a measure of short-term benefit. I, I like that. That was That was good. But I think the thing is, if, if, if you do them, a whole bunch, like they don't stack, right? It's not like they just keep building on each other. I just keep doing it. It's like they have a little short-term burst, and then it's over, and then another one's a short-term burst. But I think at the end, what he's saying, I had all these little short-term bursts. They didn't, they didn't build on each other, and they didn't create anything. In the end, all I had, I had the things, but the happiness was, was fleeting. So I think the big picture idea that he's trying to get across here is that hedonism, it doesn't bring life. Hedonism doesn't bring life. It can bring bursts of pleasure, but it cannot give you meaning. It cannot give you purpose. It cannot give you deep soul-rooted joy that lasts. No matter how hard you try to make money and stuff be something that is going to bring you life, you can't do it. And I know what you're thinking. I just haven't been able to try it long enough yet. Like, like I'm I'm so close. I'm so close. Like, it's like, I know it hasn't done it yet, but I'm just like, like maybe one, maybe two levels up. Like, I'm, I'm just a quick level up away from really being able to do it. And when people start talking like this, like, like, hey, I think the, your problem is, is you're trying to find meaning and purpose and money and stuff. No, 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 we're just we're just a little bit away. I think people really believe that, that, that we're, just, we're just so close. And it reminds me, and this is going to sound a little more political than I mean for it to, okay? But it reminds me of the way some people kind of talk about communism. Because every time communism has been practiced in a country, it has brought devastation, dictators, not good things. But then the true believers, what they say is, it, what, the real communism hasn't been tried yet. And I say to you, you're not going to be able to find real pleasure in stuff. Like, well, just, well, other people I haven't, I haven't tried it for real. You, you let me do it. You let me do it. I'll do it the right way, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. You can't do it better than Solomon did. You can't do it better than Solomon did. You're not going to have more stuff and more access and more power and more wealth and influence than he does. And the reality is, we think that we're just one level away, but the people who are one level above you, who are in the house that you wish you had, who have the promotion that you wish you had, have the resources that you wish that you had, do they seem to you like they have arrived and they're done? Or do they see that next person who has that one job better and the one house better and the one car better? Everyone is striving. And, I, and, and, this, and this phrase that he likes to use a lot, it is like chasing after wind. It's, it's, it's meaningless. And so then that leaves us with the, the idea, okay, well, if, if we know that hedonism does work, okay, then, you, then you're advocating then for asceticism. Then what we're supposed to do then is to deny ourselves completely. And I don't want to give too many spoilers. We've got a few more weeks of this to go. But basically, we're ended up at the same place there, too. That this idea of that I can, I can deny myself and I can be good enough and I can create enough rules and boundaries, and, and, and then that's going to give me purpose and meaning. Because that's folly, too. It's meaningless. It, and basically, what he's saying is, under the sun, if you're talking about all this stuff, if you're going to try to find meaning and life, here with stuff, you're not ever going to get there. I was actually talking to a guy, a friend of mine. We we're just talking about some controlling influences that have been present in their life in the past. And I was talking about people that we know that have said, man, I'm, I'm never going to live in the same hometown. I'm never going to live in the same town with, with my extended family again. Like, I, just, I just can't. And in fact, you see it sometimes where people will move Almost to the, as far away from them as possible. And they'll say things like that. Not only do I not ever, I don't want them to control me anymore, so I'm not going to live near them anymore. And in fact, I'm going to get as far away from them as I can so they can't control me. Let me tell you this. If you are moving someplace to get away from someone who was controlling, and the reason why you're doing it is because you don't want that person to control you anymore, guess what? They're still controlling you. You are still making decisions based on the control that they have. And we can say, hey, I don't want money to have this level of hedonistic control over me because there's no pressure in life there. So I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to deny myself. I'm not not, going to do this. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. It's still controlling you. I don't want money and stuff to have any control over me. Because under the sun, this is this phrase that Solomon uses all the time, under the sun, all this stuff. If you're trying to find life here, it feels meaningless. No matter how much you deny yourself, no matter how much you give yourself, life under the sun is meaningless. Which, I don't think anybody would think this is a spoiler alert. We're here at a Christian church by, uh, you know, I think we all knew that, came here voluntarily. Life is above the sun. Life is found in the one that created the sun. Life is found in the one that created the sun and all the things under the sun. And one of the conclusions that he's ultimately going to come to, and we'll spend some more time talking about this, really the best that you can do is to enjoy the God who gave you everything And enjoy the things that he's given you. In the right perspective. I'm not looking for meaning there. I'm not looking for purpose. It's not the driving force of my life. It's not the driving force of my life to have more. It's not the driving force in my life to make me not have any. It is not a driving force at all in my life. God is a driving force in my life. The things above the sun are the driving forces of my life. And he's placed me here under the sun. And I'm going to enjoy what he's given me. And I'm going to give when he calls me to give. I'm going to sacrifice when he calls me to sacrifice. And I'm going to enjoy what he's called me to enjoy because life isn't found under here. It's found up here. It's found up here in the creator God who gave it all to us. It's found in his son Jesus Christ whose life and death and resurrection allows us to be reconciled to him. Allows us to have a relationship. If, if, If I'm going to try to find any real meaning in the days. What what does he say? In the few days that we have here, the meaning that I'm going to be found is not going to be found under here. It's going to be found up here. By a worship and appreciation for a great God who created all of it. The reconciliation that I can have with him through his son, Jesus Christ. And the eternal life that I'll be able to have with him when I'm no longer bound by all of this stuff anyway, so my prayer for us is that we would be able to recognize that we able we really understand something I think that we all know is true because I think we've all been on our own experiments I know this is I know this doesn't work my prayer is that we, we could be broken from this, but that we would also understand that, uh, that this isn't it either it 's not about all of this, it's about who He is and the life that we can have with Him, not us trying to make the most of what we can down here. Let me pray. Thanks again for joining us on our sermon podcast, and you can learn more about us at thegrovechurch.org. And if you go to thegrovechurch.org slash connect, there's a form you could fill out. Just let us know that you've been listening and if you want to dig deeper on some of these topics that we cover in our sermon podcasts, or just in other issues of dealing with culture or theology, those kinds of things, uh, you can check out our Cultivate podcast. It's on the same feed, um, however you found this particular podcast. So again, this is Charlie, the lead pastor at The Grove, and thank you so much for joining us.